Roger that, Houston. All systems spied by Fox. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to episode 133 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... John Harbin, Ian McLaughlin. Peter Johnson. Andy Chandler. Hazel Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, we are reviewing a variety of movies and TV shows that we've been watching recently, including Renfield, The Three Musketeers, Rye Lane, Studio 666, and Schmigadoon. So let's start the show. So, um, John. Yes. Last week you announced to the podcast world that you were about to go and see Super Mario Brothers. And I'm sure everyone is as excited as we are to hear your one word review. Why a Mario? Why a Mario? Why a Mario? <laughs> is that two or three words? It's made a fortune, hasn't it? It's, it's on its way yeah, to being... Yeah, it was about 900 million last time. Okay, it's going to hit a billion this weekend, so <sighs> we'll, we'll get some sequels. It's... Shitting hell. Why? <laughs> What's wrong with people? I didn't hate it. Louise slept through the entire film. Louise is the wisest of us all. What is everyone's favourite Superman? Correct, it's Christopher Reeve. Yeah. We went to see... Uh, is it the 40th anniversary? 45th anniversary. 45th anniversary of the first... Superman at the cinema, and then we watched Superman 2, the Donner Cut, which I've never seen. How did you find that? Oh, it just went on the cinema website and looked at what was <laughs> <laughs> No, the Donner Cut, I think... It's the kebab cut. Yes. <laughs> well, the Richard Lester version is one of the most significant films in my life. It's one of the reasons that I fell in love with the movies, and I truly believed man could fly. 26 years old she was. <laughs> I like some of the changes, but I, I didn't think I needed Marlon Brando to be back. I think knowing what I know about him and what he kind of did on that set, um, him kind of eliminating the actor who played Superman's mum, who I should probably know th their name. Um, Is it Susanna York? And I think the relationship that she has with her son, even though they're in you know different dimensions and one of them's not alive. It was really strong, um, and I missed that one. And um, and I think yes, yeah, so I think I do prefer the Richard Lester cut. Although that might be based on having been in love with it for thirty years. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to watch. It doesn't really hang as a film particularly because it just gets the ending from the first one and staples it on. Yes, it, that, yeah. that was always supposed to be the ending of the second film. And, and not for the first. And not the first film. And yeah. the effects mm. really still stand up, don't they? Mm. No, they don't. They shite. Well, they included screen tests within the Donna cut. Ooh. Uh, so you can kind of tell, um, like, one, in one shot, Clark has got um, a quite a nice little haircut, and then he, he walks around the room, and he's, suddenly his hair's grown about four centimetres. <laughs> <laughs> and it get a lot more muscly as well, because the yeah. screen test we find kind of bulked up for the part and stuff. There's no ADR and, and things mm. like that, for obvious reasons. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing how the like, effects... I remember seeing the film and going, oh my God, a man can fly. Yeah. And 45 years later, you go, oh, right. <laughs> he's lying on a wooden block <laughs> that's painted green. <laughs> One of my favourite bits of acting is in Superman 2. The bit where Clark Kent gets his glasses out of the fire yeah. and Lewis Lane clicks at his Superman. Yeah. And he kind of looks like he's going to bluff and then just kind of just goes, and you see his whole body change and his demeanour change. You see like Clark Kent turning to Superman on screen. Hmm. I think it's more obvious in the Donnacut. It's when um, Lois fires a gun at yeah. him. It turns out to be a blank. He doesn't know that. But afterwards, he kind of, yeah, he stops slumping his shoulders. He rises up, he takes his glasses up. And generally, I know that, you know, the, the joke is, oh, you know, he's turned into a completely different person when he puts his glasses on. You can actually yeah. see it. Christopher yeah. Reeve is the, out of all the actors that have played Superman, Christopher Reeve is the only one where you could believe that people wouldn't click that he was Superman. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful actor. He plays a brilliant buffoon in it, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. As well as being the sexy, gorgeous, sexy adore. He was really good at, a really good comedian as well. Yeah. I always really enjoyed the interaction between Clark and Lois. I wish the first film had had a little bit more of that. Mm -hmm. Two really, really distinct characters. Mm -hmm. um, Clark and Superman, he's, he's bloody good. 
bloody good. He was also in, what was it? Uh, Death Trap. Death Trap, that's right. He's yeah. great in that. He's fantastic. It's him and... Michael Caine? Michael Caine, that's right. Um, was he in Somewhere that? in Time as well? Was that him? Uh, yes, that yeah. was. Had a really strong friendship with Robin Williams, so both went to Juilliard together. He tells a story of uh, waking up from his coma and uh, Robin Williams dressed as a doctor kind of running in and like doing all like shouting and like screaming and heightened Robin Williams character that he is. And it's kind of the first thing that made him smile after having been told of his diagnosis and the fact that he would never walk again. And he was feeling obviously incredibly depressed and down. Then Robin Williams just comes in as a doctor and just starts like... (laughs) doing some of his famous characters and it's like the thing that think more okay okay i think actually this life is probably going to be worth living mm. <laughs> to that see did, more things like that, that did indirectly lead to patch adams though so yes yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, uh awakenings yes yeah well, uh, which actually is a great movie talking of supermen <laughs> <laughs> what are the supermen are around at the moment captain picard he's a superman is he <laughs> he is yes well the series is finished now John, why are you riding that two-wheeled bike thing? Oh, it's a Segway. (laughs) Do you know the creator of the Segway died from falling off a Segway? Off a cliff. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if you drove anything off a cliff, you'd probably die. It's not just a Segway that killed him, is it? (laughs) I think he fell off his Segway, the supposedly unfallable off Segway. I think he fell off it and then fell down a cliff. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Picard's just come to an end this week. Uh, do you feel it fulfilled its potential? I really enjoyed it. It was just fan service, wasn't it? But it was nice oh, fan yeah. service. Yeah. and it, it was, was great. Is it the end end? Very probably. I mean, they, they shot Series 2 and Series 3 back to back. And I mm-hmm. think it's because they just know it's getting harder and harder for Patrick Stewart sir. to act, really. Mm-hmm. For Sir Patrick Stewart <laughs> to act. Sorry, sir. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, I, 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 basically they said it was intended to be the final series, but they will do more if people want more, not necessarily with all the characters. One of the showrunners is pitching something called Star Trek Legacy, which will carry on with some of the characters. Does that have Michelle Yeoh in it? That's a different thing. That was going to be a series and is now just going to be a, a film. So for anyone who gave up on Picard in season two or maybe at the end of season one, should they watch season three? Definitely, just skip straight to the beginning of season three. If you're a Next Generation fan, I think you'll love it. It's basically a 10-hour Next Generation movie. Uh-huh. And better than quite a lot of the mm-hmm. Next Generation movies. There's a lot of old nonsense in it still and a lot of things that don't quite work, but it's just nice to see all those characters again. Do we get Wesley? No Wesley. You do get Wesley in season two. Do you? Okay. Very, very briefly. But yeah, if you like Next Generation, just watch Picard season three. It's just like a big, lovely, warm hug of a TV show. Yeah, definitely. Which is Ali, isn't it, John? <laughs> I do like a big, friendly, warm hug before going up my alley. I think it's only polite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here is our main review section. Uh, we've chosen something that we have been enjoying recently. It doesn't necessarily have to be out now, but we have been... Stop hitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's tough. It's, it's like we need a school playground. You always want to grab your arm and start hitting you in yeah. the head. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Did, oh, was that just me? No, no, that was my brother for 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to be out now, but we have been enjoying it recently. Um, I think we should start with Renfield. Oh. Mm. Nicholas Cage has kind of circled vampires and monsters and so on, but he has not ever played the proper Dracula until now. So this is a film star in Nicolas Cage as Dracula and Nicholas Holt as his long-serving familiar Renfield. So this is very much Renfield's movie. The gist of it is a kind of modern take on their relationship and suggesting that Renfield is in a toxic relationship with Dracula as his boss. So we open with Renfield in a self-help group for people in abusive relationships listening to their stories and telling his own in a flashback. So is this just people are in other normal types, <laughs> normal if that's the right word, types of abusive relationships? Yes, exactly. It's yeah. not a group of supernatural people? No, it's me. not a group of supernatural. It's just like a general self-help group that he has inveigled his way into. So at this point, he has been Dracula's familiar for about 100 years and we get a very lovely flashback at the beginning to when he first met Dracula and um, became entwined with him, and that's all shot in the style of Universal horror movies, the Bill Lugosi, Dracula specifically, 
taken actual, you know, shots and images from that. Over the centuries, the relationship has deteriorated to the point where basically Dracula just abuses Renfield and uses him as a lackey who is sent out to get blood to bring back for Dracula. What kind of blood? Because I think that's that's important, isn't he? He likes, he likes a certain kind of blood. He likes cheerleader blood. Mm. Uh, he likes nun blood. Um, but it's, it's, he likes nun blood, but it's not a sexy thing. Like good souls <laughs> good feed, souls. feed him better. Yeah. And at the same time, there is Aquafina as one good cop in a very, very corrupt town of cops who are all working for the local mafia family, a key member of whom is um, Ben Schwartz, the improviser, mm-hmm. who also we know from Parks and Rex. Parks and Rex. Yeah. Nicholas Holt f- falls in with Aquafina, just end up really by happenstance in the same place where there's a shootout and Renfield kind of saves the day. And this makes him think, actually, he could be a good person rather than being a monster and he is going to rebel against Dracula. Something Dracula doesn't take lying down, sitting down <laughs> or standing up, mainly flying. <laughs> it was uh, directed by the guy who did the Lego movie and it's based on a story by Robert Kirkman who's best known for The, the Walking Dead. And mm. it's, it's, it's fun. It's like it's much better than it had any right to be. Nicolas Cage isn't in it a massive amount and he's under a lot of prosthetics for a large time. They've worked in various other Dracula films and Dracula always gets destroyed at the end of the film. Dracula is never really killed, he's just severely injured and then Renfield has to nurse him back to health Mm. over a period of years by bringing in various victims and so on. It's really funny and sharp. Nicolas Cage is just having the absolute time of his life. He's obviously really, really enjoying the role. He's hamming it up to a large extent but it's also quite scary when he wants to be. Ben Schwartz is surprisingly good. I kind of found his character in Parks and Rec a little bit annoying. Boo. Boo. Kind of the point of him, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I guess guess that was kind of the point of the character, but really that's what you know him for. Unfairly, you kind of go, is it going to be a similar role? But again, he's playing it much straighter than you would expect. And again, it's surprisingly scary and threatening as uh, a, 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 a member of a crime family. Uh, Nicholas Holt is just Nicholas Holt. Some really, really good action sequences. Um, <laughs> that, you need That's to call supposed it. to mean something. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, he's not, he's, he's kind of similar in everything that he does, I find. That's I not true. I like Nicholas Holt. Yeah, I, think I like mm-hmm. Nicholas yeah. Holt. He's been great in loads of things. Especially the great. He's harmless. What was that um, zombie thing, warm blood or something like that? Warm body. Warm body. Warm body. Warm body. That, that was really good. And um, it was based in Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. Oh, of course, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And about a boy, obviously, his first. Have you watched the black and white version of that? Of Mad Max? Yeah, Mad oh, Max Fury about Road. About a boy. Black and white. Not that old. Uh, no, I haven't. It's about a thousand times better. It's amazing. Yeah, right. Unbelievably good. You must watch it. But like kind of a Sin City sort of feel. Yeah, it has that kind of feel to it, but just the whole film just feels so much more futuristic, even though it's black and white. I think someone said it looked almost silvery yeah, rather than black be- and white. absolutely beautiful. Sorry to segue. <laughs> Off a cliff. Ah. Um, yeah, there's some really, really good action sequences, some quite inventive kills and murders. It's surprisingly like, bloody and gory. It's, it's a 15, so mm. there's no jump scares or unpleasantness there, but it's very, very bloody. Obviously, Renfield is famous for sat eating bugs in his cell in the traditional films, which is a suggestion that is insane. This retcons that to suggest that the bugs give Renfield a portion of Dracula's powers. Don't ask why. Hmm. If he can eat the buggy, he becomes kind of a bit super strong and like a fast Jurassic and so Park on. kind of scenario with the mosquitoes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it has to melt them out of amber. Yeah, it's like a cocaine bug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was in town yesterday and uh, there's a place called the Black Sheep Coffee that sells large coffees that have double the amount of caffeine. Mm. So I'd been out with Ian Mayer of this podcast, had a coffee with him, had another coffee walking around and then went to this Black Sheep one and had a double size, double caffeinated coffee and it was like bean and coke. (laughs) I was jittering. I couldn't settle down. My eyes were going. I was up and down in my chair. It was great. (laughs) <laughs> it's only like £4.19 that's like it's like one tenth of the price apparently <laughs> so uh, my recommendation is Black Sheep Coffee <laughs> yeah so um, the one thing with it is it gets a bit repetitive they have the trick that Nicholas Holt has his super bug and then he goes crazy and 
you know, tears down a room of people. That's brilliant the first time. That happens about four times in the movie hmm. with kind of diminishing returns each time. I think I heard that those scenes were quite lengthy as well. Yeah. But it's funny, it's gory, there's great action sequences. Are really good and um, I really enjoyed it and I'm pleased Nicolas Cage finally got to fulfil one of his dream roles. I thought you were going to say to be in a good movie. Oh, <laughs> would you like a list of the good movies Nicolas Cage has Yes, been? I would. <laughs> Short. <laughs> the list. <laughs> well, I'm glad that Nicolas Cage had fun and got to tick Dracula off his list. Presumably he just has to play Godzilla now and he's done. Or Superman. Oh, of course, oh, yeah. Blessing um, there's rumours. Oh, of course there's rumours. There's, there's rumours he pops up in The Flash as Superman. Oh. Uh, as as al- alternate that. universe Superman. Is that film ever going to get released? Next month in theory, but mm. let, let's see. Yeah. If a film is released in theatres but no one goes to see it, does it make a sound? <laughs> <laughs> so how many insects consumed before an overlong fight scene? Um, how, how many severed limbs torn from someone to clobber someone else over the head out of ten? Uh, eight out of ten. Ooh. Four sets of limbs. Sounds good. I reckon we about turn to the three musketeers. One for all and all for one. one. Muska, Hamza, always ready. <laughs> Helping everybody. <laughs> that sound is, of course, the sound of the three musketeers, which, Andy, you're going to recommend everybody. Don't panic, everyone. I am recommending a French film, but it's not about a disaffected watchmaker whose infidelity is an allegory for the Crimean War or anything like that. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) So I'm recommending uh, The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. It's a new adaptation of the classic Alexandre Dumas novel in a big budget popcorn flick. So if you like your action adventurous and your swash is buckled, this is definitely for you. It's a French production, so there are subtitles, but it has a real Hollywood feel. So, the year is 1627, and France is in a fragile state of peace, teetering on the edge of war between the ruling Catholics Say and... 1627 or 2023 there? Yes. <laughs> I, couldn't really, I couldn't really tell. Well, it's specifically teetering on the edge of war between the ruling Catholics and Protestant dissidents supported by England, which is marginally different to what's going on at the moment. I haven't read the news. Spirited young Charles d'Artagnan arrives in Paris, hoping to follow in his father's footsteps by becoming a musketeer, but he quickly finds himself in the midst of a plot to manipulate King Louis, the jungle VIP, into declaring full-scale war. (laughs) Good Jungle Book reference there. Thank you. Luckily, he finds allies in the famous three musketeers, Athos, Aramis and Porthos. Together, they fight to defend France, the king and each other, all for one and one for all. Uh, so it's a, it's a historical adventure film that successfully blends action, drama, humour, mystery, romance and political machinations, all those kind of things. It's an incredibly fun ride and really well crafted. All the characters are drawn very clearly, you know exactly who they are as soon as they show up and it's lots of show don't tell. They're all performed with charisma and style. Um, I enjoyed everybody on screen. The story's interesting with some little twists and turns, but it never becomes difficult to follow. You've seen films like this where it gets too into twisty-turny plots and mysteries Mm. and such. This doesn't. You know what's going on. It's all good. The stakes and the character motivations are always clear. It has really solid foundations, and it builds on that with exciting sword fights and chases and whatnot. So it's exactly what you want from an action film. There are some familiar faces, too. Most notably, Eva Green as a mysterious, dangerous noblewoman known only as Milady. I hadn't known until very recently that she was French and multilingual. That's awesome. Uh, She's predictably fantastic in her role, and fortunately we will see more of her, as this version of The Three Musketeers has been conceived as an epic two-part story, with The Three Musketeers' Milady coming in December. What's more, two spin-off TV series are in development, one of which is an origin story for Eva Green's character. Can't wait. Oh, hello. Oh, we're all going to die. Run away. We're all going to die. Panic. Run around. Panic. I haven't got one. Quick, silver foil. Put you in a bucket of water. I haven't got one. Why does John get to be alerted first? I haven't first? got one either. I, I don't have an alert. Maybe I'm like one of those super important you people. You can talk no. the bunker. To put on the spaceship. You're just the decoy. I think they just thought you needed a head start. John, John that, that wasn't the emergency warning. That was your doctor with your test results. Oh, oh. <laughs> You do not need to take any action. <laughs> You're fucked. <laughs> but it's now three o'clock. No one is alerting Severe me. alert. Is John the messenger? Because if, if so, we're, we really are fucked. Yeah. I, I'm on the spaceship with Hold the on, president. Right. Once and... you, here's the thing, right? Once you cancel that message, there's no way of recovering it. So you don't know what the message was. Yeah, that was a successful test, wasn't it? <laughs> 
I've not got anything. No, still nothing. Only John's been chosen for the arc. <laughs> well, guys, it's been nice knowing you all. Um, oh, God, Elon Musk can be on the rocket, isn't he? I don't want to go. It says the government <laughs> says the alert will reach 90% of mobile phone users in the UK. Well, it's reached one out of five, so that's done very, very well. <laughs> I mean, the government said 90%. Um, they've got 20%, best we can tell. As f- By their standards, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> For this government, that's, uh, that's a roaring success. Yeah, aim high, <laughs> deliver low. <laughs> So uh, the, the Three Musketeers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was talking about a French film, wasn't I? So, uh, yep. Yeah, this, uh, the first one is... Oh, 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 panic. There we go. I'm not yeah. done with my review, Ooh. Rishi, you dick. It's vibrating and everything. Mine's still not going off. Thank you. This is a test of the <laughs> What sort of emergency would they do it for? Like earthquake, tidal wave, meteor? I was wondering that. Alien invasion. Would you want to know, though? We were saying, we were saying this the other day. What, we, uh, like, imagine in the, the middle of having a hump, right? You're having sex, right. right? The most meaningful sex you've had with someone that you really care about. It's like, you know, <laughs> reaching your vinegar straight. It's like, well, okay, come on, I this think is the best sex. The wrong thing here. And then, and then it goes, park, yeah. oh, you've got two minutes left because, uh, <laughs> because you know, a meteorite's going to hit Earth or nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Would you want to know? I'd rather just keep going and, and like... <laughs> You wouldn't know, would you? Just well, like you'd be there and then gone rather than going, better hurry up. You'd be more likely to finish off. <laughs> disasters do it for you. It's like... You, yeah, fear's <laughs> not the normal thing that brings me to a conclusion. Do you know how a danger one because a child, Ian? Of course it is. Yeah, yeah normally on the um, A1M next oh. to Washington Services. Are you aware of what... Stand in a bin. Yes, yes, yes. You could be discovered any moment. You shout, Mum, and then no, start. The best thing is you do, what you do is you do it in a bin, right? You stand in a bin... And someone and then comes past, you just sort of crouch down and they don't know. That's the worst episode of Sesame Street, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> so the three musketeers. Not grouching <laughs> anymore. <laughs> anyway, sorry, the three musketeers. Like a teabag situation. <laughs> isn't the four musketeers as well? Isn't, isn't the four of them? Well, that's the plot. Isn't Muskerhound the fourth musketeer? Like, literally, I've only seen the Cartoon Days with Dogs. <laughs> Sorry, Andy, let's get back to your review. Oh, and beep, right. beep, beep. <laughs> Mine still hasn't gone off yet. We, 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 it, yours goes off when you mention genocide. <laughs> <laughs> it's a warning to the best of us. Oh, that's in the next paragraph. <laughs> so, this one subtitled D'Artagnan is the, uh, the first chapter of two that are scheduled. And Three Musketeers, Milady, coming in December. I'm very much looking forward to that. This first film does feel like its own complete thing. It ends with to be continued, but not in an annoying, abrupt way, looking at you, Dune. Plenty of stuff is set up for the next film, but not so that you're left lost without answers. It's a proper end to a chapter. Overall, it felt to me like a bit of a throwback to adventure films of the 90s, like The Mummy and Mask of Zorro, both of which I absolutely love. Uh, Three Musketeers D'Artagnan has a little bit of a more gritty, grounded tone than those two, but it still does the thing of sincerely leaning into its historical setting and building exciting action on top of strong characters and clear story. It's well served by gorgeous settings and a world-class costume department. They should win several awards for the hats alone. It's out in cinemas at the moment, and I strongly recommend that everyone goes to enjoy it. Yep. Mm. Hurrah. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. They don't make them like that anymore. They really don't. Well, they clearly do. <laughs> they've been a new release. Well, not, not in Hollywood, but <laughs> in, in France, they've just caught up. I feel like they've forgotten how to do um, a proper rollicking, sword fighting, swashbuckling adventure hmm. where you don't have to throw everything at the plot. Yeah. You focus on the characters. I was hmm. completely unaware of this until you said you were going to see it yesterday. Mm-hmm. They just completely passed me by and I was like, wasn't there just a Three Musketeers film a couple of years ago? Uh, and then I looked it up and it was, I think, 11 or 12 uh, years ago. That's so, the Paul Anderson one. Yeah, the wrong Paul Anderson one, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, did you watch the TV show? No. I did. I enjoyed yeah. that. I thought I, that was fun. I've never been a fan of the Three Musketeers in all their guises. don't know why. But, mm-hmm. I challenge you to enjoy this one. I thought mm-hmm. it was... Exceptional. Like the characters. The, 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 there's a link. There's, there's a bit <laughs> of a link to the um, the Superman films in that before they did Superman, the producers did the Three Musketeers, and they did the same thing on the Three Musketeers as they did in Superman and Superman Two, where they tried to make two films at once, and it went terribly wrong. So the end of the first film became the end of the second film and vice versa. And then D'Artagnan um, flies backwards around the planet. To yeah, I think that's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that's where they got the idea for the end of this one. Okay. Mm. Porthos, D'Artagnan. Who's the other one? Aramis. 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 Who's the fourth one? Aramis. We, 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 just, we just named yeah. four. Um, the, the, the three musketeers. <laughs> Porthos, Aramis, Porthos, Aramis D'Artagnan. Um, no, D'Artagnan is a cadet who becomes yeah. friends. He's, he's the fourth one. He joins um, so. the three musketeers to make him the four musketeers. <laughs> the under musketeer. <laughs> He's the main character of this one. Um, so he's a, a, a spirited young man who's out to kind of prove his mettle um, and make a name for himself. And are they still, um, because as far as I remember the original kind of movies, they were all kind of like quite womanizing, hard drinking, almost like outlaws. Well, they weren't. They were the Queen's Guard. Yeah, but they were all a bit sort of, well. they're all a bit like get drinky and get jiggy with it. Athos likes a drink, but um, not in a thigh slapping let's get pissed ways he's, he's um, described as um, he, he he has demons he's trying to drown mm. them but they've learned to swim okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> which comes off as a good line yeah i didn't find it uh, laddish at all no. um and and the, the the female characters are probably the most interesting to be honest yeah it's all in the portrayal the with all the characters there's no one that you get sick of on screen there's there's um, no one annoying in it yeah. everyone's really That's well played how, i think i'll give that a go how many um Pork cutlasses out of ten. Is that a euphemism? What? Your pork cutlass. Port, oh, I thought, port port cutlass. Pork cutlass. I thought you were saying your pork cutlass. Are you pork, trying? Pork cutlass. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. How many pork? <laughs> how many pork cutlasses out of ten would you give the movie? Uh, I'd give it eight pork cutlasses out of ten, uh, but that's eight very very fun ones. Um, it's mm-hmm. Real good ride. <laughs> Hazel, would you like to go next? Oh. Ooh. I could go next. Go next. Didn't get a warning. Oh dear. Can't be a real emergency if I'm not required. I'm oh, sorry, you can come on the plane with me to Greenland. It's because you're expendable. <laughs> what movie was that? Greenland. The Expendables. <laughs> <laughs> you can come to the super plane with us, Andy, because we might need somebody to use the step to get onto the... Someone to wave the paddles as we're <laughs> taking off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind of you, thank you. I like to be included, that's all. So I would love to recommend something that I don't usually recommend, and that is a rom-com. Oh. It was an absolute delight. Uh, I'm talking about Rye Lane. It had me beaming and laughing for the whole 80 minutes. First of all, I have a question for all of you. Do you wave at boats? Do I wave at boats? Yeah, so if you're on a riverbank and a tourist boat goes past and they're waving, do you wave back? Fuck no. Right. I tend just to get me knob out and pee in the river. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Well, that tells me a lot about who you are as people. <laughs> uh, that's a bit of a plot point. And you might not be the kind of person... <laughs> who know. should be alarmed? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's true. It's a sticking point for one of the main characters, Yaz, who's played by Vivian Opera. At the beginning of the film, we see Yaz encounter Dom, who's played by David Johnson in the bathroom of a London art gallery. Dom is very, very upset over a recent breakup with his longtime girlfriend who cheated on him with his best friend. He is, I know, he is on his way to meet both of them to try and clear the air. Yaz offers him moral support and escorts him to the restaurant where he is due to meet them and they walk through Rye Lane Market together. They each talk about their failed relationships and they start to build a strong connection. I won't tell you what happens when Dom meets his ex and his old friend, as that's a spoiler, but suffice to say he leaves the restaurant much happier than when he went in. We then see the whole day play out where Yaz and Dom build their connection further and they are inspired by each other to do things that they might not necessarily do under normal circumstances, which I think is one of the hallmarks of a great relationship. They inspire you and lift you up and they encourage you to be you and the whole version of you. And this film really does shine a light on that. Both Yam... Uh, yam? <laughs> yam. Yes. It, it's a spoiler that he like, puts some glasses on and he's been walking around with an Eastern European vegetable for this entire trip. Both Yaz and Dom do hide things a little bit from each other at the start, but when they see that the other one truly sees through them and wants to know more, they start bringing down those barriers. And that is a joy to watch. It's also far more representative of the diversity of London's neighbourhoods than some previous London set rom-coms that mostly feature Hugh Grant. And the script is so smart and so funny. Um, There's also a nice little nod to those other rom-coms that are set in London. So Yaz and Don go to a Mexican food stall called Love Guachali, 
<laughs> the chemistry between the two central characters is great and you can see their bond grow in such a natural way. It's directed by Rain Allen Miller and this is her directorial debut. I cannot wait to see what she does next. She has made South London become almost a third central character in this film with her, her wide shots that still keep the two characters framed close to the camera so you can see their emotions. Uh, you know, the backgrounds, whether it's in the gallery or the market or just a series of toilet stalls, they're so vibrant and they're so interesting. Seriously, it's such an interesting shot. There is just so much life in every single shot. So yeah, this one was a real joy. I can't remember the last time I watched an actually good rom-com. Like I've taken a few cinema trips recently with friends to see things like Marry Me, Jennifer Lopez and things like that. But I've always enjoyed the experience of going to see it with others much more than the film itself. So this film does really break the mould in more ways than one. And you know that she's telling the truth because she was forced to go see it with me. Yeah. Oh. I added nothing to the experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does, it does sound really interesting. It's like you were playing up earlier on, you know, the traditional sort of British rom-com has always been the sort of the white middle class Hugh yeah. Grant. Lovely flats, decent job kind of world. and uh, Although not a decent job, but still being able to afford incredible flats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so this sounds like it's a, a nice fresh take on that. Really, mm. really fresh take on yeah. that, yeah. Have people seen Before Sunrise, the Richard Linklater film? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but apparently it is kind of a nod to that. Yeah, and I love that film. So this sounds actually... Yeah, Before Sunrise is brilliant. I've heard really, really good things about it from people. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. It's on my list. Yeah. So how many weddings and funerals would you give it out of 10? <laughs> I would give it, I'm between an eight and a nine. I'll, I'll go nine. Nine, nine. weddings and wow. no funerals. And no funerals. Andy, are you, are you a nine? Yeah, I'm a nine as well. Um, I enjoyed it far more mm. than I expected to. Um, I can't think right now of another rom-com that I actually care for, but this no. was excellent. Yeah, from the really trailer, good. it doesn't look like a... I'm just wondering whether the description of rom-com will put some people off who perhaps yeah. don't enjoy a traditional rom-com. I mean... Mm. Is it just a, a love story to some extent, rather yeah. than a rom-com as a genre? It's a film about connections. The characters are very funny. And to a certain extent, it does follow the rom-com formula. Mm. Um, and it plays with that a little bit. Like, it's not um, throwing all of the traditions out of the window. Uh, it's, it's its own thing. Mm. And it's all about how a connection is built from the first interaction throughout the day. So if I, if I convince Bev to watch this movie mm-hmm. after it, do you think there might be an opportunity for some soul-searching, effortless, communicative... <laughs> that question feels quite loaded. Get her in the right mood, you know, so I'm trying to find the right movie. I tried Fast and Furious, that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Talking of rom-coms and Mm. their following a pattern, I was on Amazon Prime yesterday and just going through the titles trying to find something to watch and there's a film called I Want You Back with Charlie Day. Right. I'll I'll read the tagline. It says, Peter and Emma thought they were on the precipice of life's biggest moments, marriage, kids and house in the suburbs until their respective partners dumped them. Horrified to learn that the loves of their lives have already moved on, Peter and Emma hatch a hilarious plan to win back their exes with unexpected results. That's a tagline. The description on Amazon. Is there ever been a more inaccurate use of the term unexpected results? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they might fall in love with each other. What do we think? I haven't watched the film. It may... It may be completely unexpected, but I am willing to bet that there is not a single unexpected result in any line of that film. There, there could be an alien invasion and then they're forced to eat each other. Maybe maybe one of them gets the emergency alert and the other one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and it leads to worries about inequalities in their relationship. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd in, like to see uh, that. On, on screen, not in real life. Please don't <laughs> treat me as a second class citizen because I didn't get the alert. <laughs> But Ray Lane, yeah, yeah it was really great. Um, if you're not into rom-coms, uh, still give this a try. Um, that that That's me. I don't care for rom-coms. This was phenomenal. It's got a huge amount of style in the way that it's yeah. shot and, and uh, scene transitions and so on. When they're telling each other their, their life stories and their, their relationship stories, you get a quite flashy kind of transition into um, we are now watching the story they're telling, but they're also present in the background talking to one another, explaining it. I forgot to mention that. Um, so... 
for example, when someone's telling a story about a time that they were visiting the cinema, the other character who's telling the story to, it's in the cinema, as, as if we're doing a flashback, but they're in the cinema, and then they, when they transition back to the present day, they're carrying popcorn still. You know, it's oh, right, okay. yeah. Yeah. very, it's, very funny. It's, it's slick, and it, it is fun, and it's funny, but it's not obviously gags that have been set up in a contrived way and it's all hugely natural and the characters are mm. so relatable and believable and, and likable from the off it's uh, it's got everything going for it it sounds like a really good feel-good movie that will remind you that love can conquer all is actually all it, around it's oh, actually all around it's in my fingers on my nose and it's coming to disney plus on the third of may there we go. Fantastic. So yeah. Everyone watch it. Bad Instead times, of the coronation. Yeah. If I get, <laughs> we know why you didn't get the alert now. Yeah. If I get Bev to watch the coronation oh, no. with me, do you think? <laughs> you can show your sceptic. Your crown jewels. Oh, my word. All right. Wow. Shall we go Shmigadun? Shmigadun. Okay. I assume that's my cue. Um, I have Shmigadun. Which is curable nowadays. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Schmigadoon is a show about a modern day couple who find themselves lost in the world of the Golden Age musicals. The leads are Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key, who play Melissa and Josh, two New York doctors who go backpacking to try and patch up their failing relationship and end up lost, trapped in a magical town called Schmigadoon, where everyone around them is likely to burst into song at the drop of a top hat. The town folk are played by a fantastic cast of well-known Broadway actors, including Kristen Chernoweth and Alan Cumming, as well as Ariana DeBose from West Side Story, Jane Krakowski and Dove Cameron. The title comes from Brigadoon, a 40s musical about a town that only reappears every hundred years, and the first series is based heavily on musicals of the 40s and 50s, whereas the second series, which has just started airing on Apple TV, is called Chicago and draws from Chicago, Cabaret and the more decadent musicals of the 60s and 70s. Most of the cast from the first series play different characters in the second. The ditzy blonde farm girl in the first season becomes a riff on Sally Bowles in the second, and they're almost unrecognisable as the same person. Ian, did you realise? I did. Oh, okay, I'm impressed. The couple will only escape when they find true love, but they get sidetracked by all the other characters who all have their own problems to resolve, like the gay mayor who's afraid to come out to his voters. The songs are often loosely based on well-known songs and have some great lyrics and musical arrangements. The show gets a lot of fun from how the modern-day couple react to the weird conventions of musicals or the dated attitudes enshrined in them, often commenting on the songs as they go. For example, in the first episode of the second season, six dancers in a club perform a parody of Hey Big Spender called Does That Shock You? about how daring everything is because, for instance, there's a man over there in a dress, to which Melissa replies... Well, I've seen every series of Drag Race, so... Or someone has a tattoo. Or they ask if the idea of being spanked excites them. They're just sat there checking the menu. Or if girls <laughs> kissing each other will blow their mind. And they just shrug. Although it does poke a lot of fun at musicals throughout, you can tell it's being done by someone who really knows and loves the genre. And the show is great fun to watch. You can find this first full series on Apple TV. The second season is about halfway through at the moment. Uh, Ian, I think you've seen it with I Beth. have. I'm up to date. I absolutely adore it. I think it's one of the greatest things that's come on TV. Only because I'm a massive fan of musicals, I do wonder with people who are maybe not so much mm. fans of musicals whether it will resonate with them so much. But me personally, I absolutely adored it. Found I kind of recognise all the parodies in it, which I got very excited about. <laughs> and uh, it's done with such love and such heart. And the cast are, because you know, you've got all the triple threats from Broadway in mm. there who are just incredible. You just can't help but start smiling when it comes on. I think it was abs absolute genius. You can feel the love. Can't yeah, you? absolutely. Feel the love for the musicals. And it kind of has a bit of a, almost a bit of a kind of South Parky feel or something going mm. on in there. It's, it, the fact that they know they're in a musical and they can hear the music coming in. Yeah. They're looking up at the sky to see yeah. where the music's coming from. I think yeah. it's a really nice idea. And, so, and sometimes they just stop a song in its tracks yeah. and things like that. All yeah. those other sort of games you can play. Yeah. Or that someone's about to burst in the song, so they just walk away. So the yeah. song ends. It's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, I think it's very cleverly done. Uh -huh. I thought for this one it was weird because with it being very based on cabaret, mm. and they had Alan Cummings there. Recently, yeah, MC. In, for the in, MC in London, cabaret. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet they, he has a different party. Yeah, they obviously yeah. chose to go a different way, yeah. so it didn't mix the stories up. 
the, the, the second series, the Chicago, like you say, has all the sort of more decadent and darker musicals that don't necessarily, you know, Cabaret doesn't end happily. Mm. Uh, Chicago doesn't end happily. Mm. So there's a much darker side of the world. And the women come much more to the front because in the first series, because it's Brigadier and it's set in the 40s, so women play a very much smaller part in it and they're additional women who look after their husbands and bake. Whereas this, the women take over and become the, the, the forefront of the whole kind of story, which I think mm. is really good. Very cleverly done. The stuff about attitudes, uh, for instance, I mentioned tattoos before, and I read an article this morning with uh, Richard O'Brien mm. saying that the line, got any tattoos from Rocky mm. to Brad? Nowadays, all the people who pay Brad, they have to cover up their tattoos with makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I think it's... Uh, and if you want introduction to musicals in some way, it might be a nice way into mm. to doing that. So are the two completely separate then? Or do some characters follow on from... Same, it's the same two to, main characters. The same yeah. couple, and all the cast are the same, mm-hmm. but they're in different roles. Yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler particularly, but uh, at the end of the first series, they, did, they return to their real world. And they decide the real world is maybe not as good as being in the magical world, so they try to go back to the magical world and end up in a new one. Mm-hmm. How long are the uh, episodes? I think about 25 minutes-ish. 25, 30 minutes. It's a really nice short hit. It's really, you know, you can get yeah. in there quick and out. It, it feels like it could be a bit tiring if there's like lots of yeah. music. and. and yeah. The songs are so well done. The lyrics are brilliant. You know, it's not just like, oh, another parody, another mm-hmm. parody, another yeah. parody. They all serve the story in it like a, a real musical mm-hmm. does. And I think there's six or eight episodes per season as well. So again, yeah. it's relatively short seasons. And then who turns up with the leprechaun? Uh, that is Martin Short. Martin Short keeps doing yeah. these silly little things and suddenly there's a leprechaun in, a, in an engine. Going, you can't go home yet. You've got more story to tell. <laughs> there's lots of little silly bits like that. It's, uh, it's great. Good choice, Pierre. Mm-hmm. Does it get a bit too meta at times? Um, you, you mentioned that there's things where they will look around thinking, where's the music coming from? Or, or they'll walk away from someone because they recognise they're about to burst into a song. And um, I, I do worry that it's going to be a little bit too kind of, oh, yes, we're not actually buying into our own premise kind of thing. Mm. In the start, the couple, um, I think he hates musical and she loves them or something. Yeah. So they had different attitudes to it and his attitudes yeah. change over time a bit and things. Yeah. I don't think it over No, I think, the same I think you're right. There's a danger of that, but I think they just tread it just right. Okay. They kind of still in the world, but they kind of aware that it's strange at the same time. I, I kind of thought, similar to Andy, I saw the trailer, I thought maybe a bit twee and smug. Mm. But actually, yeah. I don't think it is that at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's something different. I will, I will give it 25 minutes of my time. Yeah, you should do. Yeah. So, Peter, how many? I would give it eight and a half, I think. Mm. I really enjoyed it. Mm. It's a nice Extender. little burst of happiness when yes, you need it. it. Worth a try. Yeah. All right, Ian, bring us home. What have you got? So, I'm going to recommend, I think it's recommend. Hard oh, to know oh. whether it is, but it is. Oh. Uh, film called Studio 666, which stars legendary rock band The Foo Fighters. It's a sort of comic horror movie. The history of this is that it came to The Foo Fighters' 10th album, and they were then expected to do yet another rockumentary about the band, and felt that we've done it all. You know, do the fans really want to watch us you know, recording, rehearsing, and fooling around again? So they came up with the concept of, perhaps, might we do some kind of story? So Dave Grohl wrote a horror movie, being a big fan of horror movies, which is what this film is. I was reluctant to watch it because I was chatting with John about this, um, because obviously Taylor Hawkins, one of the greatest drummers ever lived, um, mm. died recently. So I was worried, like John was, whether I might feel a bit sad watching the film. Mm. But I thought I'd give it a go. And I was kind of presently surprised. What is it? It's kind of like a, a body horror slasher, ultra gory, <laughs> satanic comedy. Uh, <laughs> Imagine if Peter Jackson's bad taste fucked the evil dead in South Park while Beavis and Butthead hid in a bush watching on and masturbating. That gives you the kind wow. of feel for this unbelievably wow. stupid movie. It's so stupid, <laughs> but I absolutely adored it. I really did. And the story, if you can call it that, centres around the band's efforts to write and record their 10th album. But their creative juices have run dry. Everything they try to do is just a rehash of earlier songs. So in an effort to break out of the creative doldrums, their manager rents them a secluded mansion, previously used by rock band Dream Widow, to record their album. But unbeknownst to the Foo Fighters, that didn't end well, as the lead singer slaughtered the rest of the band with a hammer. <laughs> so, unbeknownst, they move in and prepare to write. And this is where the horror starts. Grohl, in one evening after a few whiskeys, finds a basement that contains various satanic objects. These are possessed by the dead lead singer's demonic soul. 
And after listening to a demo tape he finds down there, he gets possessed as well. And under the demon's control, Grohl forces the band to continue production on the album. Things take a darker turn when they find the decapitated body of an Uber Eats delivery guy, and Grohl convinces them not to call the police until they finish the album. <laughs> what then ensues is a classic who's next for the chop slasher movie, as one by one the band meet their gruesome demise. The film is unashamedly gory, like the body horror movies of the VHS era, and its comedy comes from the most ridiculous use of blood and guts. It's one of those so stupid movies that you find yourself screaming while you laugh. The effects are all done in camera, with fake heads and limbs flying everywhere. The SFX team must have had a brilliant time creating the blood and brain splattered demises of the characters. Most notable, bit of a spoiler here, a couple, or mid-fuck, <laughs> get sliced in half <laughs> vertically with a chainsaw mm. from oh. underneath the bed, which is absolutely hilarious. Grohl actually turns in a decent performance actually as the Dominic version of himself while the rest of the band bumble around bumping into the scenery like NPC characters stuck in a computer glitch (laughs) but that's the charm of the thing they all know they can't act and they don't really understand the story either but they're having a good time I heard Taylor Hawkins was like I didn't read the script like I'm just going to say what I want (laughs) it's pretty much that they have have no you can tell they've got no idea what's going on but my main favourite character for the whole thing is guitarist Patch Smear who comes across as a really camp terrified teddy bear who has to sleep on the floor because there's not enough beds he's unbelievably cute and you just want to take him home give him a sandwich by the fire and read him the tiger who came to tea to get him off to sleep (laughs) I suspect this is his real character and I really hope it is did you say Pap Smear Pat smear. <laughs> Pat smear, I know. Now, see, yeah, I believe it was a pun on that back in okay. his 80s punk days. Seeing Taylor Hawkins really did me, make me feel a bit sad, but more for the band myself. He, you know, he was clearly a genius and a great friend to them all. But I think his hilarious demise in the film is the way he would wanted to have gone. Okay. So if you want to waste 103 minutes watching rock and roll legends clearly having a lovely time, some puke-out-loud moments and some seriously rocking tunes, then watch Studio 666 and P.S., John Carpenter plays a brilliant little cameo mm-hmm. and wrote the theme tune for the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I should watch this, I think, yeah. yeah. It's beyond daft mm-hmm. and is flawed in every kind of way, but it's so <laughs> cute, you just, you just really warm to it. It's so silly. There used to be a thing of uh, bands being in movies like this, mm-hmm. like they were doing yeah. in the 70s and 80s. Slade and Flame. That was the one I thought Kids in the Phantom of the Park, I think, was the other one, something like that, yeah. So do you hear this got coveted a little bit in terms of their original plans? They were just going to release the film and they were going to Blair Witch it and say like all the band had been killed and couldn't do any promo and then release the film. Oh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. If you manage to endure the gore, which is beyond bad taste by Peter Jackson, it gets so stupid. Mm-hmm. But like I say, it's so over the top, you just kind of go... That's funny. It's one of those things, it's silly gore rather than scary gore. So yeah, it's, it's similar it's, to Menfield. There are no shocks in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, sho- the shocking the, thing the, is they've got the money to make it. <laughs> so how many unpleasant mid-sexual murders? <laughs> mid-sexual murders. It was, it, it, that was the late night version of Midsummer yeah, Murder. Yeah. <laughs> the how, how, how many rock stars decapitations out of ten? I would give it a... Uh, a solid six, and one extra for Taylor Hawkins, just because oh. we miss him. We do. New album next month. No idea who the drummer is. Very confusing. Dave Grohl does seem like a genuinely nice, good yeah. guy, doesn't he? I mean, that, that, you often see him like interacting with fans where they get people up on stage and things mm. like that. Or the thing where he had a drum battle with a nine-year-old. Yeah. yeah. And it, he just genuinely seems like a good guy. Mm-hmm. And does that come across through the movie, or is he too busy being evil? No, he actually does a pretty good turn in it. He's not a bad little actor, actually. No, it's very clear he's a very nice guy. Yeah, and I think he's famously like the nicest guy yeah. in rock, I think he's known as, isn't he? <laughs> he randomly popped up at Coachella this weekend as well. There was a bit where Wet Leg, in their set, do like a big scream in the middle of the song and get the audience to scream along with them. Yes. And Dave Grohl just ran on stage and did a scream and then ran off again. And uh, <laughs> the band didn't know he was there. So the band just completely lose it. It's really sweet to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'd ever sit down and just put a few fighters album on to listen to, but live they're one of my favourite live bands. Really good. Especially mm. the first two albums, I think, are, yeah. are brilliant. I've seen them like three or four times, and they've always been amazing. Didn't he play everything on the first album? Yeah. Yes, did all the instruments himself. Oh, impressive. And then and got, then, and then, got then, a drummer, and then sacked the drummer and redid the drum parts in the second <laughs> album. 
And their, their stage shows are notoriously long as well, aren't they? Like going on like about three hours. Because like, yeah, they do all yeah. their songs, which is loads. And then they just do loads of cover numbers, like ridiculous ones. Like even had Rick Astley on stage with them, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, Ian, if I uh, persuaded Andy to watch Studio 666, do you think... Uh... <laughs> what, do you think it might be in line for some uh, chainsawing on the bedroom? <laughs> I do. That is all for this week's episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, we are on social media at Nerdfest UK. We've never had a blue tick, but if Elon Musk wants to pay for us to have one, he can still get in the sea. (laughs) (laughs) You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which really sincerely would mean so much to us. John, tell the people how much that would mean to us. If you leave us a review, I will whisk you away. I'll give you my spare seat on the emergency space plane to Mars while Andy stood waiting for his alert to come through. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's incredible. Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who would happily walk down a bug to spend one minute with Nicolas Cage. (laughs) A man who, if he convinces his partner to watch Hazel's rom-com recommendation... She might do the pretendy faint, and I can pretend to be the doctor and revive her with my love thermometer. <laughs> oh, That's a weirdly specific <laughs> 1970s thing you've got going on. <laughs> Good way to learn that Bev doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> a man who is very carefully choosing which musical he's going to be trapped in. An homme qui aime les trois mousquetaires. That's French. A man who loves the three musketeers. I'm a sandwich. <laughs> And a woman who is off to order a spicy pork burrito from Love Guachali. Easy on you, Grant, please. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. 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 (laughs) Well done, everyone. Clean show. You'll be pleased to know that Ian Mayer also didn't get a alert so i'm now looking forward to some post-apocalyptic sitcom where you and ian mayer have to like the last people left on a burning planet and have to don't say repopulate (laughs) no they have have to survive they have not alerted the best people but they you know alerted the worst (laughs) oh shit yeah maybe they're gonna put me on a rocket and just like fire me into the sun you're the gold fringe and br yeah so they get all the good people they don't give them alert yeah the rest of us they go walk outside into the street now (laughs) Yeah. We all get fried by some kind of meteorite irradiation, yeah. whereas mm-hmm. the 10% get to stay inside. I mean, they're going to need corporate lawyers, aren't they? Yeah, need corporate <laughs> lawyers, <laughs> radiologists. Yep, need sounding them. like the Bjork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the telephone sanitizers. <laughs> and obviously they're going to need actors, Ian. I have no discerning <laughs> skills of which the new planet or civilization would need. <laughs>